Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for the penultimate review show of the 2022 LV County Championship is, of course, my Yorkshire supporting Nottinghamshire-based co-host, Mr. Matt Wiley. So Matt, first things first, mate, thank you very much, as always, for coming on for a chat about all things county cricket. It's been an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto TCCP this season, mate. I have to ask, how's your day been so far? Yeah, been a good day, thanks, mate. Um, obviously, had everything maybe gone to plan, or even better than gone to plan. I might have still been in Worcester today, but I think it turned out I wasn't. Uh, um, but no otherwise I've uh, been able to take advantage of the day off, so... You know, silver linings. But uh, yeah, we've, what have we got? We've got this one and then one more. So I suppose uh, take take the, the positives while we can. And uh, yeah, just look forward to the final round, the final couple of rounds of the season. Well, yeah, it has been a long old season, hasn't it, for, for our counties? I suppose I, I say that more as, as Warwickshire and Yorkshire, as opposed to, to Nottinghamshire. Notts have been doing very well in Division 2, although they did suffer a little bit of a stumbling block as we'll discuss later in today's podcast. But yeah, it's been a long season for our two counties, in particular for my county of Warwickshire, but we're not going to get into that just yet because, of course, we are here to discuss each and every single game from the 15th round of the 2022 County Championship. And let's be completely honest, Matt, there's only one place that we can start for this particular show, and that is at the Mickey Stewart Oval where Surrey County Cricket Club secured their 21st county championship title with an emphatic 10-wicket victory over Yorkshire in South London. So Yorkshire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game. And Matt, I come immediately to you, mate, because we've discussed this so many times on the podcast throughout this season. Myself and Joe talked about it in 2021. But Yorkshire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first at the Oval. First and foremost, what were your thoughts on that decision? Yeah, bizarre. I mean, you, you you bat first at the oval, don't you? You just it's just conventional wisdom. Um, yeah, I mean, I think to be honest, there's the kind of idea that oh, it's September. I haven't seen the pitch in question, obviously, but it, it's September. You know, there might be a few clouds around. You start at half past ten. There's a little bit more dew, etc., etc. There's, there's there's a bit of logic to it, but I think there's general logic to it and they've kind of failed to take into account the specific where you are and and the situation and that kind of you know you you can apply as much sort of overarching it's september it's a bit green it's a bit cloudy it's half past 10 but you've got to take your current situation into account and i just maybe there was just a lack of that to be honest from uh, johnny tattersall because yeah you you bat first at the oval don't you and surrey showed that indeed you bat first at the oval yeah, you do indeed. And yeah, I was a little bit surprised by that call, to be completely honest. But I must say, actually, in the early exchanges within the first 42 overs or so, Yorkshire actually on top in this game. They had Surrey 136 of five, but cometh the hour, cometh the man. The man nicknamed his holiness as a result of his surname, a certain England batter by the name of Ollie Pope, who came in and completely changed the complexion of this fixture, stealing the show with a barnstorming 136 from 131 balls, which included 16 fours and two sixes. And Matt, I was just watching this innings, and I think back to last week when we were talking about that performance at Wantage Road and Tom Curran's century. 
This knock really did kind of sum up Surrey's season quite beautifully, didn't it? When the Brown Caps have been in trouble, they've shouldered the responsibility, they've bore the pressure of their team on their shoulders. And Ollie Pope did that quite spectacularly in South London this week, didn't he? He absolutely did, yeah. I mean, it's this whole sort of death taxes and insert guaranteed thing here, isn't it? Ollie Pope's going to centre at the Oval. I'm sure you've probably got the figures in front of you as to what his average is at the Oval, but after that, it's surely it's north of 100. I mean, he just does it time and time again, doesn't he? And I think that's the, you said it there, that's the mark of a successful team, that players will step up and that different players will step up. And I think that's what sets them apart. You know, when you look at a team that struggles, players have failed to put their hand up and players, you know, sort of shy away from it. Whereas in this successful team, um, I mean, Hampshire as well, you can use them. They've had, you know, they, did, they didn't win it, but they've had a successful season, relatively speaking. The bowlers have put their hands up, the batters have put their hands up for Surrey. You know, it's that that's what differentiates a poor team from a good team, I think, across all sports, really. And yeah, Ollie Pope at the Oval, just, you don't want to stay unbeatable, but it's not far off, is it? It's really not. Um, I'd say it's a better combination than salt and pepper, to be completely honest. It is fantastic. It's a, a match made in heaven. Ollie Pope on home soil at the Overlands. That was a sensational innings from the Surrey batter this week. And as a result of that, Surrey, from 136 for five, ultimately finished on a very competitive total of 333 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Yorkshire themselves unfortunately, got off to a very poor start. They stumbled to 67 for four within the first 30 overs of their innings. But to their credits, Tom Kohler-Cadmore, skipper Johnny Tattersall, did begin to put up some semblance of a repost for the White Rose, scoring 55 and 45 and out respectively to ultimately take the visitors to a total of 179 all out by the end of their first innings. Seeing as, as that was quite the hefty deficit, Surrey being the, the champions in waiting, I suppose, did go for the follow-on. And after this underwhelming batting display from the visitors, things just did not get any easier. In fact, Dan Worrell, who took four for 61, and Jamie Overton, who took two for 22, sighed through the Yorkshire batting lineup with complete and utter ease at the Mickey Stewart Oval this week to leave the visitors all out for 208 runs and leave their side needing just 55 runs in order to secure their 21st county championship title. Now, as you can already imagine, folks, this target was never going to trouble Surrey County Cricket Club, as Rory Burns, the captain, scored a barnstorming 13 out from 16 balls, Ryan Patel chipping in with 19 out from just 21 deliveries, as the Brown Caps chased this down in emphatic fashion within just six overs to lift the 2022 county championship. So... First and foremost, congratulations to Surrey County Cricket Club, worthy winners of this title in every single sense of the word. And obviously, as, as long-term listeners will probably know by now, there are a few Surrey fans who get regular mentions here on the podcast. One of those groups of Surrey fans are, of course, the Garrod family, Phil, Trish and Bex. Obviously delighted for each and every single one of those in the Garrod family. And funny enough, actually, on the day that this podcast comes out... It's Phil's birthday. So a massive happy birthday to the big man himself. No better prize or present really than the county championship going to his beloved Surrey. So absolutely elated for those three. They've been absolutely fantastic all season. And yeah, as of their county, thoroughly, thoroughly deserving winners of this trophy in 2022. And Matt, it's funny actually, 
we mentioned earlier, if we're going to look at Surrey in an analytical way, I suppose, you mentioned right there the fact that they've had contributions throughout the batting lineup and, of course, in the bowling department as well. And if we look at Surrey, in terms of individual performances and individual run scorers, Rory Burns is the leading run scorer for the Brown Caps. He scored a total of 763 runs, an average of 40.15. But in terms of the bigger picture, he's only the 16th leading run scorer in Division 1. He's not even in the top 10. And then if we look at wicket takers as well, their leading wicket taker is Dan Worrell, who took 39 wickets, an average of 24.15. So in a way, Matt, and I'd love to know your opinion on this, do you see some parallels between this Surrey side of 2022 and the Warwickshire side of 2021, because that Bears team did not have any 1,000-plus run scorers, and nobody in that team took more than 50 wickets. But it was a case of players during key moments in the season, standing up and stepping up to the plate, producing those individual performances, those moments of individual brilliance, and ultimately lifting the trophy for their side. Can you see that comparison between these two sides? Yeah, I can actually. Um, I think as well, I might as well bring a third comparison into it, which is the Nottinghamshire of last year, and where their leading run scorer was Ben Slayton. He only got 837, but they enjoyed a really successful season. And that's just because everyone in that top five scored above 500. You know, everybody was contributing. And, you know, I've, I've already said it there, really. It's, it's all about, you know, one any one player could score 1500 runs but if his teammates don't back him up then he may as well not bother frankly because you have to be backed up it is a team game and yes while having one player who maybe streaks clear of everybody else is nice on a mental sense and it's nice to think oh we've got this incredible player in our team the only thing that matters is the team and you know that that's that's what has to come first and that is what will win you trophies you know, you, you, you can have one player who will be brilliant and he might win you a couple of games on his own, but he won't win you the championship. And, you know, it's like with Nottinghamshire last year, they wouldn't have finished, you know, if Ben Slater was the only one, you know, if he'd maybe doubled his total, but then only one other player had scored more than 500, categorically they wouldn't have had the season that they did. So, yeah, it's, it's all about the team that has to come first. And that is why Surrey have done what they've done, because... Everybody has put their hand up when asked. They most certainly have, and they've just been unbeatable, haven't they? I mean, 13 games played, 8 wins, 5 draws, 47 batting bonus points. That's unbelievable. Do you want to hazard a guess what the, the next best total is in Division 1, Matt? I'll give you a clue. It's Hampshire, actually, funnily enough, with with this score. Wow, OK. Um, what we've got, 13 games, so you can get a maximum of... 65 they've got 48 i will say 39 you're not that far off 34 34 and sorry i've got 47 so i think that just sums it up to be completely honest they've been so dominant with wow. the bat in hand and you, you think back to certain games of this season you look at trophy defining moments and i think the run chase up in scarborough with aaron hardy hitting those winning runs and that extraordinary run chase up at North Marine Road, you think of day four against Warwickshire at the Oval, that looked destined for a draw. And all of a sudden, Kemar Roach and the new ball bowlers tear through the Bears and ultimately the Brown Caps win by six wickets. And then, as I said, last week it was Tom Curran, this week it was Ollie Pope. 
they're worthy winners. They really are Surrey County Cricket Club. And I, I like county championship seasons like this, where it's not a case of one or two players actively dominating the circuit. It's a case of entire team performances, players of all different ages, experiences, stepping up to the plate. And one of those players as well, Matt, that I just wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive into before we move on to talk about Yorkshire and the rest of the games this week, is a certain Tom Laws. You know, he's been so impressive, took figures of four for 31 in that first innings this week. And looking at his, his figures for this season and his stats, 18 wickets in five matches, an average of 20. And in addition to that, he's averaging 30.33 with the bat in hand. How, how big of a future do you see Tom Laws having? Because he's got strong action. He's clearly a very capable wicket-taking option. And the guy can bat. Do you see him potentially? I know this is very early days, but can you see the makings of an England Lions player or even an England player beyond that? Uh, it's always very early, isn't it? It's always, we, all, we always like to hype up young players, don't we? But, I mean, yeah, you mentioned his action there. That's always key in terms of ensuring that you can build year on year and that you don't get injured, um, especially for a bowler. You know, you've got, if you've got that smooth, repeatable action and you can use it to good effect, then, you know, you, you're far less likely to suffer the setbacks that could lead to you not fulfilling your potential. Um, and there's, a, there's another bowler, actually, who I've seen this week, who I'm sure will come on to him, who's very much in the same boat in that regard. But, yeah, he's, he's just, as long as he carries on building year on year and, you know, he's, he's at the top level of the domestic game at the moment, as long as he can carry on being part of that Surrey team. And it's almost, I mean, you could call it a baptism of fire in the sense that he's come into, well, provably now the strongest team in the country. But, you know, that's, that's only good for him. If he's competing, he's come out of probably what is the best academy and into probably what is the best team. That is, you know, that, that that's brilliant because if, you know, if he'd come into a team that had maybe struggled this season, you know, if, if he'd come into maybe Leicestershire and they were either A, overly reliant on him or B, you're not quite competing against the same calibre of player, then you could maybe say, oh, well, we're not we're not quite sure. We need to see him at a higher level. But if he's burst straight onto that higher level, then that is proof that he has that ability to go, oh, and he's got that high ceiling. But I think, you know, right now, obviously, all he needs to do is just focus over the winter on getting better and better, keep doing what he's been doing this season. But to be honest, yeah, the world at his feet is, I would say, absolutely no reason why not, frankly. Yeah, I'd have to agree, to be honest. I've been so impressed with Tom Laws. I remember, in fact, watching him first back against the Sri Lanka Development Eleven at Woodbridge Road in Guildford earlier this summer. That's when I first cottoned onto his name, really, and Ever since, my goodness, he looks like a real prospect from that Surrey Academy. So remember the name, Tom Laws. Absolutely fantastic young all-rounder, to say the very least. And talking to young talent, Matt, last week we spoke about Finley Bean. And of course, up at Yorkshire, another team with a very strong academy and, and those strong county roots, I suppose. It's been a very, very tough year for the White Rose, hasn't it, in Red Bull cricket? I mean, they've struggled to generate any sort of momentum and theoretically, they are technically in the relegation battle heading into this final round next week. How would you, as a Yorkshire fan, describe the White Rose's performance, not only in this game, 
but I suppose on a season-wide perspective as well, it's been incredibly underwhelming, hasn't it, for the Northern County? Yes and no. So the amount of games that we've won has been really poor. I mean, one out of 13 is, in my eyes, not good enough. But at the same time, you know, there's been seven draws in there. So suddenly it becomes, you know, eight out of 13 unbeaten, not an awful record. And now this is obviously really tough because the reason that, you know, we have a new coach, we went through, you know, the incredible period of upheaval that we went through over the winter. And we all know the reasons, no need to go into the, the, the whole debate there. But the, you know, those the reason we were in that position was as a club of our own making. You know, it, you can't look and start blaming other people and saying the reason we had to get rid of our entire coaching staff, the reason we had to do this, the reason we had to do that. You know, that was completely internal. That was civil war. That was, you can't pin the blame on anyone but ourselves for that. That said, we were in that incredible transition period where we've got a new coat and we're having to overcome all these off-field issues, desperately attempt to put a team together. And frankly, when we were going through that around sort of, you know, Christmas, New Year time, I was thinking, oh, we're going to get relegated here. I was thinking this season we are going to get relegated. We, you know, we didn't have a coach at that point. We seemed to have a pretty threadbare squad. And I was just thinking, oh, this is just going to weigh too heavily. So in in one regard, I'm almost, you know, yes, we're still in the relegation hunt. It could still happen. uh, You know, touch wood, it feels unlikely. Requires a fairly big swing. So while it could still happen, I'm hopeful that it won't. But, um, you know, it, it, it's very mixed feelings. It's very mixed feelings. It it feels like we've done okay in some regards and massively underachieved in others. I think that staying in the top division was crucial because hopefully with a little bit more certainty we can start to build. I've not been that impressed with the manner of some of the defeats. They've come when we really seem to fold, like especially this week as well with uh, Johnny Tattersall bowling as well. And, I get that you want to preserve bowlers. I get that it's been a bit, you know, we've had a really tough season on the bowling front. But that just smacked to me of, oh, well, we've lost this game, so we're going to give up. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what his thinking was behind that. You know, I'd, I'd, I get, yes, that you want to balance bowlers' workloads, but there's one game of the season left. It, you know, that, that just seems to me like we were admitting defeat. And yes, obviously, we were going to lose, but... You want to at least put up a bit of a fight. You want to say, come on, lads, let's see if we can make them, you know, win by six or seven wickets rather than letting them win by ten. You know, it's it's yeah, you you want a bit of fight, you want a bit of grit. But at the same time, I really, really liked the appointment. I liked the appointment of Otis Gibson when he came in. I still like that. He seems to be, you know, I mean he knows what he's doing, that's not in doubt, of course. So yeah, it's very, very mixed feelings as a whole. I'm, I'm obviously uh, struggling to articulate it all and condense it down. I've been rattling on for five minutes, but overachieved based on some expectations, massively underachieved based on some others. Just hopeful that with some new shining next season and longer for the coach and maybe moving even further on from the issues that we had. Let's just hope for better next season, I would say. Well, yeah, things definitely need to improve 
up in up in Yorkshire heading into 2023, that's for certain. I think in terms of, of Johnny Tazzle bowling and best bowling, wasn't it? In that second innings, I think that was actually down to the overrates because Yorkshire were very slow in the first inning. So they were trying to prevent a points deduction, which at this moment in the season would obviously be rather catastrophic. So I think that's what the reason was. But at the same time, you know, Yorkshire, proud club, proud history. And, you know, I take no glee in saying this, Matt, he says, with a massive grin on his face, but Surrey now have got that record, haven't they? The most county championship titles post-war. And that is something that Brown Caps can be very proud of heading into 2023. And, of course, the season's beyond that as well. But Just remind me. Just remind me who's got the most overall. Well, that is, of course, Yorkshire. Yeah, there it is. Wait until we get on to which county's been the most successful since 1990. But before we get into that discussion, when we talk about the Bears, we do, of course, have four of the games to talk about in Division 1 this week. And the big one, in terms of the title race, took place down in Southampton, where, against all of the odds, Kent beat Hampshire by 77 runs at the Aegeus Bowl. Now, before this game, and we talk about it, just to preface this, Hampshire had not lost a single game at home since the middle of June. Aside from that Royal London One Day Cup semi-final, and in the county championship as a whole, they were unbeaten at home before this game. So going into this particular encounter, Hampshire's confidence would have been incredibly high. They would have been riding that high from last week. They were still in the title race. I imagine they would have been very confident heading into this game and potentially even more confident after they won the toss, elected to have a bowl, and the likes of Kyle Abbott, Mohamed Abbas and Keith Barker sigh through the Kent batting lineup to leave the visitors all out for 165 runs. But this is the key thing. Day one in Southampton this week was quite simply baffling. It was mind-blowing because 165 turned out to be a rather, rather big score as Hampshire were skittled within the space of 16.5 overs. Matt Quinn taking 6 for 23, Harry Podmore taking 2 for 11, and Nathan Gilchrist chipping in with 2 for 21, as the home side were bowled out for 57 runs within 17 overs. Matt, what was your reaction to that? Because I've got to be completely honest, I was watching the stream and it was every single over, something was happening, either a 4 or a wicket or some quick singles. It was breakneck speed cricket, but in terms of that 57 all-outs, right, and we'll talk about Matt Quinn's bowling in a second as well, because he deserves a lot of plaudits for that particular performance. But from a Hampshire perspective, I mean, how can we even begin to describe that? It was it was shell-shocking, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just bizarre. I mean, it was everything that we sort of well, thought we knew about Kent, and, and indeed everything we thought we knew about Hampshire, just complete role reversal wasn't it you know we've seen pretty much all season that Kent's bowling has been certainly below par and Hampshire have been able to bat at home like you know they just rack up the runs like pretty much nothing else so I suppose as well you know if you can use a bit of a football analogy a team chasing the title never well you know any sport a team chasing the title never wants to play a team in relegation trouble because the team in relegation trouble has so much more to lose you know, the team battling against that with everything they've got has so much more to lose. So, you know, they will always, and, and they want that big scalp, you know, they want that big scalp to give them belief that they can do it. So 
I think, to be honest, it was it might have just been a case that Hampshire just maybe a little bit of doubt crept in. Maybe maybe it was overconfidence. Who knows? Maybe they did think, oh well, we've got Kent at home. We've not lost since the middle of June. We're going to just go out and absolutely, you know, with this, we're going to win this comfortably. So whatever it, whatever it was that caused it, they need to look at it. They need to drill down into it and find out what it was that caused it because. Really, what they did there in the in those you know short overs when they were shot out for very little, they just cost themselves pretty much their entire season. I know they won the blast. I know they got to the one day cup semi finals. They can still call it a reasonably successful season, but you know this is what they've this is what they've been chasing in the Red Bull stuff since April, and by so doing by getting shot out there for fifty seven, that's just you know cost them pretty much quite literally a year's work so yeah it, it's got to be looked at it really has whatever caused it and you know they're still a good team they've still got quality players they can still come again next year but yeah they've, they've got to look at the root cause of that and tackle it without a doubt mate. well they certainly do and to be honest Matt I just couldn't believe it genuinely I was in complete and utter disbelief I was just watching wicket after wicket after wicket and don't get me wrong, because we all know the surface down in Southampton is seem conducive. You can see that by the wickets tally of the likes of Abbott, Abbas and Barker and Holland and, and James Fuller. But to lose all of those wickets within the space of 17 overs, I mean, as you said, it's just unravels all of that hard work from all the way back in April. And you've got to remember that Hampshire have not lifted the county championship since 1973. This is the trophy that all of the fans want. This is bigger. Don't get me wrong, the blast is fantastic, as is the one-day cup, but this is the trophy for Hampshire County Cricket Club. They've only ever won it twice, and the last one was back in the 1970s, in 1973. So to lose it in this particular manner must be gut-wrenching. It it really must be. You know, this is going to hurt, this is going to sting, and... Yes, I suppose you can say we can use that as motivation heading into next season, but the the wounds as a result of this loss are going to be present for, for many a month, if not many a year, to be honest, on the South Coast. And considering that they had a 108-run deficit, Hampshire, in fairness, did fight back quite well in this game. They put Kent in quite a bit of trouble and a bit of pressure on a score of 135 for six within the first 36 overs of the second innings. But... Unfortunately for the home side, Kent captain Jack Leaning, who I must say has had a good season for the Southern County, came to the forefront just when his team needed him the most and chipped in with a quite masterful 112 from 178 balls to take Kent up to a total of 269 all out by the end of their first innings. So as a result of that, on a pretty difficult pitch, it was beginning to flatten out slightly. Hampshire needed a mammoth, mammoth target of 378 runs to chase down successfully in order to keep the title hunt alive. And unfortunately for the home side, it was just a bridge too far. They had some excellent knocks on the likes of Joe Weatherly. He scored 56 from 110. The captain, James Vince, scoring 73 from 115. And James Fuller, the South African all-rounder chipping in with 78 not out from 92 deliveries, which included 13 fours alongside the tail. But agonisingly for Hampshire County Cricket Club, it wasn't enough. The Southern County bowled out for 300 runs within the 85 overs of their second innings 
to fall short by margin of 77 runs on home soil and gift the county championship to Southern rivals Surrey. So a bitterly, bitterly disappointing end to what's been an incredible campaign for Hampshire. And again, it's a massive shame. We talk about those campaign-defining moments for Surrey. Obviously, it went their way. And on this particular occasion for Hampshire, it went disastrously wrong. But if we're looking into the future, Matt, if we're looking ahead now to 2023, I suppose Hampshire can take some solace in the performances of the likes of Abbott, Abbas, Barker. Their seam bowlers have been quite sensational this year, by far and away the best seam attack in the country. But again, we asked these questions in 2021. They've cropped up again in 2022. How does this Hampshire batting unit improve as a side and actually make this team even more competitive in Red Bull cricket? Where do you see the real problems lying with this Hampshire batting lineup? I've kind of, I mean, I just said it there, really. The, the thing about the mental edge of it is the absolute crux of the matter. And you've got to kind of, the, 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 if, if you're going to believe, I oh know it's really, it's really difficult to, you know, just, just believe in yourself a bit more because it's way more complex than that. And, you know, the, the, there's a whole, there's, there's an absolute, there's a whole dimension to the mental edge of the game. And we know how influential it is. But I think fundamentally that is really what it has to come down to because they need to back themselves. They, you know, they, they have that talent. I mean, James Vince, you know, you've got maybe someone like Ollie Pope would uh, probably argue with me for saying this, but you've got potentially one of the classiest batters, if not the classiest batter in the country in your lineup there. You know, when he gets in and when he is in full flow. I, I genuinely don't know if there's a better Englishman to watch, frankly. Maybe, you know, you could say Joe Roo or someone like that, but genuinely, he's just the shots that he plays, the drives that he plays. And if you're a young batter coming through Hampshire's academy and you break into the team and you go out to the middle and you're at the non-strikers end when that's happening, there is absolutely no doubt that the talent is there in that lineup. So it's got to be about overcoming, and it and it does seem to me to be that kind of that final step, doesn't it? You know, the the thing about um, they they did um, what what happened at Liverpool last year, you know, losing narrowly to Lancashire there, um, that ultimately cost them the championship. You know, being shot out here that ultimately cost them. You know, it's just been in September, just in that last or that penultimate. You know, things have drawn to a close, and I mean, I'm I'm going to say the word in order to criticise it bottling I, I hate that I hate that in professional sport now Aaron I know you're an Arsenal fan mate and it gets thrown it gets banded at Tottenham it gets banded at Tottenham a lot doesn't it that but fundamentally that that word is wrong false it doesn't take a lot of things into account but if you look at what it means and you know what it, what it gets leveled at teams for i.e falling away just at the very last second that is what's happened. That is what they've done last year and this year. So you've got to look at that. And I think, to be honest, because the talent is there. The seam bowling, like you said, is the best in the country. I fully agree with you on that. That's what you've got to look at. The just the the, the, the psychology edge of it, and the the importance of it is clear. With I mean, Nottinghamshire have got a sports psychologist specific role 
created. Um, I'm sure there's other teams with with the same. So, you know, the importance of it is not in doubt. That's what you've got to look at for me and just, you know, get those young players to back themselves and believe in themselves and just be able to take that final step. It's a lot easier said than done, though, isn't it? And that is the problem for us as fans and, and pundits of the game, I suppose. It is very easy to say that it's a completely different thing to be out there in those pressure situations and actually being able to achieve those goals. And I feel for Hampshire. I really do. I would have loved to have seen them lifting that county championship. Those seamers have been outstanding this season. But unfortunately, the batting, that unravelling, that collapse on home soil has unfortunately undermined the entire season. And yeah, the title has indeed gone to Surrey County Cricket Club as a result of that. But on the flip side, Matt, let's talk about Kent's because Kent deserve immense plaudits. I've got to be completely honest. I, I played out a thousand different scenarios for round 15. Not a single one of them saw Kent County Cricket Club beating Hampshire at the Aegeus Bowl. And yet they did it. And they did it in emphatic fashion, a 77-run victory. You've got the captain scoring a century. You've got Matt Quinn taking six for 23. And I've got a lot of time for Matt Quinn. Even from his Essex days, he's always been a very underappreciated seam bowler, in my opinion. But this really was a team effort, in particular, from those seam bowlers in Southampton this week. So it's been a very good week for Kent's, winning the Royal London One Day Cup, giving Steve-O that fond farewell, as we all wanted. And also, they've taken a massive step here to securing their Division One status heading into 2023. So, Matt, just a few words on Kent's before we talk about an extraordinary fixture down in Chelmsford this week. How impressed were you with that performance from the southeastern county? Really, really impressed. And, you know, I, I said it there, the, the, the relegation battlers have always got so much more to lose, haven't they? And they're always the uh, the danger, the, the dangerous team to play. And, you know, Kent have, like you say, you know, they've, they've struggled. But obviously the idea of, you know, the, the, the word struggle implies that you've fought back a little bit. You know, you've attempted to do what you can to grab on. They haven't just folded. They've struggled. But at the same time, you know, they've, they've fought back there. They've gone to that, um, to the EGS Bowl, knowing that if they lose, if they get comprehensively beaten, they're probably going to be relegated. And they, you know, they haven't. They've stood up. The Matt Quinn, like you said, really underappreciated, really good county bowler. He's in that sort of category of not really destined for high, for anything higher, but will do his job very, very competently and very effectively at this level. And, you know, that that's really what you need, to be honest. You just need... We said it with Surrey, didn't we? You know, those, those players to, to stand up and be counted. And they, like I said, you know, they've, they've done their very best this this season but it's just not quite worked out for them so to see it working out for them now now I'm sure you know obviously if Warwickshire are to stay up next week it's probably going to be them that you're looking to send down unfortunately but they've put themselves in pole position to avoid that relegation and you've got to give them a lot of credit for that because of the manner in which they've done it and where they've gone to do it so yeah, I think you've just got to accept that Hampshire were poor, but Kent were excellent and they fully, fully deserve that. They most certainly did. And again, it is a massive step forward, isn't it, for Kent as a club. And you could see how much it meant to them as well. The celebrations 
meant a lot to the club. You can see they wanted it, the heart, the passion, the desire, the fight for that club badge. Yeah, it was present to see on the South Coast this week. And Kent's obviously running out worthy winners at the Aegeus Bowl in the 15th round. But aside from that game and the title race, let's have a look now at more of a mid-table clash. This was between Lancashire and Essex, where the Red Rose of Lancashire beat Essex by 38 runs in what can only be described as a once-in-a-generation game at the Cloud FM County Ground. Now, usually here at the County Cricket Podcast, we take you through innings by innings and we go through all the key moments and the key battles and matchups. The fact is, this game was over before tea on day two. There's not really much to analyse in terms of batting displays. The, the high score in this game was 24 not out from Tom Bailey in the first innings. But in terms of the bowling displays, obviously wickets tumbling all over the place. On day one, 26 wickets fell. I don't think I've ever seen that, Matt. Have you ever seen that in, in professional cricket? No, it was bizarre, wasn't it? It was just, I mean, like you said, yeah, once in a generation, these these games are supposed to last four days. You're supposed to see batters digging in and playing and prizing their wickets. And yeah, it, it was just really, really, really strange, frankly. Um you're going to get freak results out, you're going to get them across all sports, but yeah, really, really quite odd. Yeah, odd, odd's one way of, <laughs> of describing it. Bizarre, mind-blowing would be another one. Mental. I'm just trying to think of any more adjectives, unusual, mysterious, eerie, spooky, whatever. To be completely honest, it's like being transported back in time to the early 1900s and watching teams getting bowled out for 14, 15 runs. But in terms of the game, we do have some bowling performances Two shout out this week. Simon Harmer in the first innings taken five for 41. And then in Essex's first innings as well, Tom Bailey, who is just a wicket-taking machine. He's been outstanding for Lancashire this season. The Red Roses leading wicket-taker with 49 wickets at 23.04. Bailey chipping in with figures of five for 36 from 11.1 overs. And this was around about the evening session on day one. You had Lancashire being bowled out for 131 runs. You had Essex being bowled out for 107 runs. (laughs) And then it happens. One of the greatest scorecards and one of the greatest moments I've ever had in 14 years of watching county cricket. Within the first six overs of the Lancashire innings, the visitors were seven for six. That isn't a typo. That is not me mispronouncing anything. They had lost (laughs) six wickets for the gain of seven runs. Matt, if you could describe that particular evening session and what we saw, and I suppose knowing what we know now and the fact that Lancashire won this game, did you ever think from seven for six, Lancashire could ever win this game of cricket down in Chelmsford this week? I think, to be honest, you just didn't know where to predict. Or that, to, to be honest, predictions are a mug's game at the best of times. And when you see that, you just think, well... My God, what on earth could happen now? Yeah, we, we were just, uh, I was obviously, I was sat in the press box at New World and they were just getting read out. They're just, oh, the, 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 the four down, the five down, the six down. They just, they just kept coming and coming and coming. And, you know, when you get to a point where 25 for six is a massive, brilliant recovery, you think, wow, what on earth, you know, what, what was the carnage that unfolded? And yeah, just, I, I, will, I will be honest, when Lancashire were bowled out 
in their second innings and you know they set Essex like was it in the end about 150 or something like that to to win wasn't even that was 98 98 there you go I what I I did I said I remember going over to my colleague at Knott and saying oh Lancashire are going to win that game Essex you know Essex are going to you know look look at what look at the scores already they're not going to knock they're not going to knock off any sort of total and yeah it was just yeah like like you said, you can't really find the word to describe it, can you? I mean, seven for six is you never. Well, you, you know, you might see it again, maybe in twenty twenty five years. But yeah, you, you're not going to see it again anytime soon, are you? It's funny you say that. Immediately, what came to my head, Martin Tyler? I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. So watch it, and that is exactly what we did at the Cloud FM ground this week. It was just staggering and fair play to one Lancashire player in particular, making his first-class debut, George Bell. He's someone to watch out for. Incredibly high ceiling, England under-19 batter. He batted very nicely on that pitch, scoring a counter-attacking 24 from 28 balls, but Shane Snater taking 6 for 10 from 8 overs. You had Sam Cook taking 3 for 46 from 11 overs, and Lancashire were ultimately bowled out within 24 overs for a total of 73 runs. And you're thinking at this point, target 98, I agree with you, Matt, actually. I was very apprehensive as to whether or not Essex could chase this down. And in the end, they couldn't. It proved to be a bridge too far, which George Borderson taking figures of 4 for 24, which included a first-class hat-trick. So just to complete everything, we had fivers in all four innings, and we had a hat-trick from George Borderson. So a crazy game of cricket. Essex skittled for 59 runs within 23 overs in the second innings, and Lancashire from 7 for 6, winning this game by a margin of 38 runs. But all joking aside now, because it was very entertaining, it was hilarious at times, to be honest, to watch it as a neutral, if we are being serious for minutes, that surface was nowhere near good enough for first-class cricket, was it, Matt? And in fact, I think Glenn Chappell actually at the end of day one himself, said this was not a suitable surface at all. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't use any stronger words, to be honest. 26 wickets falling on day one, and it was turning, it was gripping, there was nip off the surface, the ball was doing all sorts. And as if that wasn't enough, for a couple of the Lancashire wickets in particular, there was really inconsistent bounce. We're talking about bounce rearing up and hitting the gloves one ball, and then next ball skidding on and hitting the stumps. So in terms of the conversation surrounding this pitch, Matt, what did you make of the surface itself? And of course, the big overarching question as a result of this, do you expect to see Essex getting a pretty hefty points deduction for the quality of that surface? Um, no, it wasn't. It plainly, plainly wasn't. Um, I, I went on and had a quick look at some of the wickets when it was um, just insane because you're thinking, well, yeah, clearly there's something mental with this surface. It's, something very very wrong with it and you know whether it was prepared in that way i don't know you know are you actually you certainly can't prepare a pitch that results in the team being seven for six you can prepare a pitch that you know you want to see a team get bowled out for 150 because you want it to produce a result i suppose you know that's fair enough if essex want a result pitch but yeah you cannot be preparing a pitch that results in a game being over in what four or five sessions because that's just plainly not good enough um glenn chapel was you know he was he was accurate in what he said um 
I think, you know, in the end, you'll probably be thinking more. Yeah, you can say, oh, Glenn, oh, what do you think now that, now that you've won the game? But it was almost a sideline, the fact that his side did win the game, because, you know, it could quite easily have been Essex that um, that bowled them out for for zip and won by 38 runs. You know, it, it could have gone either way. And yes, both teams have the same surface, but like you say, that surface was not good enough. Um, I do expect a point deduction to go to Essex. I think, you know, I mean, frankly, the precedent that they've set, you know, I mentioned Somerset there, you, you know, the ECB have set a precedent by fining teams point for poor pitches in the past. So they really should. Um, and I mean, not that it'll make a lot of difference is that sort of gap between Essex and four and Northamptonshire and fifth that, you know, unless they basically dock them a win, you know, even if they dock them 16 points, then that'd still not be enough to drop them to fifth. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll be a bit of an impotent punishment unless it's, you know, to the tune of 40 points. But, yeah, cause, because you need to be held accountable for a surface like that because, yeah, plainly just not good enough. It really wasn't. And to be honest, I never like complaining about the, the quality of surfaces because ground staff in counter cricket really are the unsung heroes. They never get enough appreciation at all. And we only ever talk about them when the quality of the pitches is, is under scrutiny. But that just was not a good pitch at all. And I, I do expect a point deduction for Essex, whether that will take place this season or whether or not the ECB will suspend that, take it into next season, just as they did. With Somerset in 2021, that remains to be seen. But we'll have to wait and see, won't we, Matt? I mean, it wasn't a great surface at all, but an insane game of cricket in every single sense of the word between Lancashire and Essex down in Chelmsford this week. But aside from that mid-table clash then, let's go back to the bottom of the table and let's head to the seat-unique county grounds where Gloucestershire beat Warwickshire by three wickets in Bristol. Now, my county, Warwickshire, won the toss, elected to have a bat first in this game, and in fairness to the Bears, we actually put up a decent first innings performance. Dom Sibley steadied the ship, played the anchor role to absolute perfection, manufacturing a gritty 120 not outs from 280 deliveries, alongside the likes of Danny Briggs and Captain Will Rhodes, to see the visitors up to a competitive first innings total of 274 all outs by the end of the first innings, with Gloucestershire's Zafa Gohar being the pick of the home side's bowlers with brilliant figures of 5 for 64. I thought he bowled incredibly well in Bristol this week. But in response to this, Gloucestershire got off to a somewhat shaky start to the innings, but to give them full credit, they fought back like lions on home soil this week. Jack Taylor scoring a vital 71, skipper Graham Van Buren as well, steadying the ship beautifully, with a 90-run stand with Taylor, which ultimately helped to see the hosts up to a total of 255 by the end of the first innings. So at this moment in the game, it's pretty much even Stevens. Warwickshire have a 19-run lead. We're in the evening session of day two. If the Bears can just dig deep, maybe lose one or two wickets and see ourselves through to stumps on day two, we would have had an excellent chance of winning this game. But unfortunately, as has been the case far too many times this season, yeah, wickets fell in bunches. And the man behind that, the catalyst for Gloucestershire, was Tom Price. 
you alluded to him earlier, actually, when we talk about Tom Laws and we're talking about good young talent in county cricket. Tom Price took the best figures of any bowler in Division 1 this season, taking figures of 8 for 27 from 13.5 overs. A few words not only on this performance, but again, the ceiling of Tom Price. He looks like a very, very interesting prospect, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does. And, you know, the Gloucestershire have got a pretty good track record in recent years of, of producing really quite quality players. Um, you know, I think it, it's kind of difficult to look at to look at the table and, and say a team that's 25 points adrift at the bottom has been unlucky. But I really think they have. I, th- I don't think a lot of their performances have been that far off the mark. Um, I think they've just found it that Division 1 is, you know, really, really cutthroat. And yeah, you know, they picked up an impressive win there. But yeah, it's just, it's really difficult. But obviously, you take your bright spots in a season like that. And Tom Price absolutely has been a bright spot. And, the, you know, his brother as well, Ollie, is, Ollie Price, the pair of them are, you know, really, really good. And yeah, you've just got to almost look at the results haven't been particularly good. And, you know, right now, things aren't looking particularly good but the future you know you've always got to have always got to have one eye on the future in in sport at any point um unless you're in absolute win now win everything now mode which i don't think to be honest cricket is really about i think you only really see that in the probably only in football really where the money is insane but i think in cricket you've always got one eye on the future and you've always got one eye on on who you're bringing through and for Gloucestershire to have produced him or, you know, developed him and will continue to develop him. Yeah, that, that's definitely a bright spot as far as they're concerned. Well, he most certainly has been. And just looking at his stats from this season so far, Tom Price, he's played seven matches, taken 29 wickets, an average of 18.41. He's been a brilliant find. Again, it is a testament to the quality of that Gloucestershire Academy. And Again, they have got some very good young players coming through the ranks. Ben Charlesworth is another one who really catches the eye. As you mentioned, Tom's brother, Ollie, is another one to to keep a close eye out on for in the future. But as for Warwickshire, Matt, I mean, 128 all-outs. After having a 19-run lead, things were looking so promising. I don't really have much more to say, to be completely honest, about this season. You know, I'm going to save it for the end of season review. I'm not going to come on here ranting and raving. I've got my suggestions. I've got my constructive criticism. I've got my feedback. But this has been an exhausting season to be a Bears fan. It really has, both on and off the field. I've mentioned the body language, the attitude at times has simply not been good enough. And I don't say that lightly. And then when it comes to certain tactical decisions and the communication from the club as well, that's something else which I've taken real issue with. You know, the freezing out of Matt Lamb since that Hampshire game. What happened there? No one's told us. Usually Warwickshire are a lot better with communication. And then this week, all of a sudden, Mohamed Siraj being unavailable on the eve of the game. We knew about this as fans, by the way, a good six, seven hours on the day before because he posted on Instagram. And yet there was not even a comment from the club on social media or via the website. A lot of people didn't even know until the morning of the Gloucestershire game. And then Michael Burgess being unavailable with no set reason. Is it injury? Is it personal reasons? We don't know. So in terms of the off-field communication, really disappointed with the Bears for that. And then in terms of those tactical decisions, the 
The rotations have not worked. The batting lineup seems woefully out of Nick. I mean, what did you make of that performance this week, Matt? Maybe that's just me as a Warwickshire fan. I'd like to know your views as, as more of a neutral, but what have you made of that batting display? 128 all-outs against the bottom of the, the table team, a team which up until this point had not won a single game. What did you make of that display from the visitors in Bristol this week? Yeah, disappointing. I will agree. I mean, obviously, I don't have um, the same strength of feeling um, <laughs> as, as you do as, as a fan of the club, mate. But yeah, it, it was. I, I can thoroughly, thoroughly understand where you're coming from. And if Yorkshire had had the same, I, I would be completely in agreement with you. Um, they they just seem to sort of. It, it was that. That, that that succumb they, they they succumb to it didn't they the the kind of the it sort of it was kind of a microcosm of the season really it was just that thought of like you've, you've spoken a lot about the body language and about the kind of folding to defeats that that it, it, it's happened again hasn't it? it it just that sort of losing wickets in clumps and no one really, you know, being prepared to be the one to to stand by and dig in. And that's why I find the loss of Dom Sibley a little bit confusing. I mean, the fact that, you know, he he would be your man to to stick around and protect his wicket and prize it at all costs. And yes, you know, off-field finances, I, d- I don't doubt that Warwickshire offered Sibley a contract. I'm sure Surrey bettered it, maybe by far, maybe only slightly, maybe he wants to move back home. Etc. Etc. Who knows? But you know, it, it's it's it, that was a strange one, and it, they seem to be lacking in that sort of real willingness to, you know, this. Maybe maybe it comes from overconfidence from last year. You know, they they think that you know, they they won it all last year, and they think that they're unbeatable, and you know that that's that kind of idea has never quite gone out of their heads, and that's I suppose it's, I suppose it's a tough one to get past. To get past. Um, it is. You know, this this is the fact that about the county championship. You know, we've seen teams win the title and get relegated. It's happened before. Um, so get relegated in the following season. It has happened on numerous occasions. In fact, since all the last decade or so, it's because you know, ten teams in a division, um, ordinarily in a maybe a twenty-team football league, fifth would be excellent. In this, it's mid-table. You know, it, it's so cutthroat. So yeah, I think what you just need to sort of revisit their kind of maybe overcoming it then they're kind of do they do they believe that they've got this kind of almost I'm, I'm not i'm not going to say you know win, winning is a privilege winning winning is something that you earn and that you you're not you're not entitled to it you you earn it through you know putting in the hard yards and being up for the fight and being there to take take down the opposition and if you believe that you are maybe a little bit entitled to it then it's going to come back to bite you quite quickly I'm afraid and I think that might be the case for for the Bears there unfortunately. To be honest Matt I don't even think that's scratching the surface I think there's a lot of of questions which need to be answered over the course of this off-season but again we'll touch upon those in the end of season review this isn't the podcast to to talk about it because I think at the same time as much as Warwickshire have struggled I actually want to talk more about Gloucestershire I really do, deserving winners of this game. They chased it down. Fair enough, it it did get a little bit dicey towards the end, but ultimately chasing down their target of 148 runs 
with three three wickets still to spare. And Chris Dent and Graham Van Buren in that second innings, I thought were quite fantastic. Steadied the ship beautifully. Gloucestershire were in all sorts of trouble on 30 for four. But then those two got together and, yeah, completely changed the game for the home side. And a great stat, actually, for Gloucestershire fans. This is their first win in Division One since 2005. So that's been 17 years in the making. So congratulations to Gloucestershire. It's been a woeful season. It's been a really tough season for them with the injuries and obviously the, the, the losses, the the poor performances at times. But yeah, I'm happy for them in that regard. Good to get the, the monkey off the back in terms of that first win since 2005. But aside from that game in Bristol then, Matt, let's head to our fifth and final game from Division 1 this week, which saw Somerset secure their Division 1 status for 2023 with a 352-run demolition of Northamptonshire at the Cooper Associates County Ground in Taunton. So to give a little bit of background for this game, Somerset won the toss and elected to have a bat first on home soil, a decision which appeared to have paid off quite sensationally in the early exchanges as Captain Tom Abel racked up a majestic 111, the informed Bartlett's bringing up 62 as well to help guide the home side up to a very healthy total of 389 all out by the end of their first innings. And Matt, before we talk about Northamptonshire's performance, we talk about their batting and of course Somerset's very impressive second innings. Quick word on Tom Abel, because in this game, he was just different gravy, wasn't he? 111 in that first innings. Then he goes and turns up in the second innings, scoring 115 from 98 deliveries. <laughs> and as if that wasn't enough, he also then goes and takes two wickets in the fourth innings to help take his side to victory. How impressed were you with this performance from the Somerset captain on his home patch this week? Yeah, very. I mean, you said it just there, didn't you? The, the captain, um, you, you, you lead from the front. That's what you have to do. You step up and you take that role. And he did it really quite magnificently. Um and I think, especially when you consider, you know, some of the batting world over the past sort of, well, this season as a whole, really, they've, they've struggled um, to be able to put those numbers up. Indeed, you know, now they've done, you know, they've passed 300 twice in the same game and they've batted Northampton throughout the game. And that is, you know, pretty much what they would have been probably hoping to do all season. So I suppose what you could say is if they're coaching and they're off field kind of work that they're putting in, is paying is, is paying off is, is yielding results then excellent um yeah there's um i think obviously a lot of what comes into it with batting collapses is the mental side of things you have to believe that you can stay out there and if your teammates aren't then you have to be the one that does but if you know that 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 edge and that sort of nervousness to some extent has been taken away then whoever has masterminded being able to take that away deserves a lot of credit and yeah the fact that they've done it twice you know the fact that they got you know if they got 389 and then been shot out for 150 in the second inning you could maybe think oh it was a fluke but it, you know they got 337 and they, they were able to declare you know that it, it wasn't just a fluke so yeah if they're ending this season strongly then fully fair play to them and i think they hopefully can uh if, if they have overcome it, hopefully it's a permanent fix and not a sticking plaster. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. Only time will tell. 
in that regard. But in terms of this particular game, very, very impressive batting display from the home side in Taunton this week. And in particular, Tom Abel. I love watching Tom Abel in full flow. So that was a privilege and a pleasure to watch that on the stream, to be completely honest. But in response to this, North Ants didn't do too badly with the bats. But I think this week it was a case of Somerset bowling quite brilliantly on home soil. Craig Overton taking figures of 5 for 38, Josh Davey taking 3 for 54, as Somerset ultimately restricted North Ants to a total of 265 all out by the end of their first innings. And this takes us nicely onto that second innings for the home side this week. And in particular, Matt, I want to know your thoughts on, on one partnership between Tom Lamonby and Tom Abel. T-squared or Tom-squared, whatever you want to call it, to be honest. But that second wicket stand, after Imam and Lamonby had put on 101 for the first wickets, you're thinking, it can't get better from here, surely not. And then Lamonby and Abel put on 171 for the second wickets. Take it away, Matt. What did you make of that performance? It was stellar, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely stellar. Um, just, I think as well, the kind of approaches, you know, not, not only were they so contrasting um, in terms of Lamb and be kind of playing the anchor role and uh, able, well, able to free his arms a little bit more. And, um, you that's know, that's terrible. Be, be even by our standards, that's a shocker. That was that wasn't even intentional. I'll be honest. Yeah, thank you for that. Now I'm uh, just coming up with these on the fly. Um, no, the, the the one that you know freed his arms and played a little bit more aggressively. And to be honest, I think if you were going to pick either of the two of them, that would be the one to be the aggressor. You'd pick Lamanby, wouldn't you? You'd pick you know the, the sort of shots he's got in his locker. That would be the one. He'd be the one to do that. So I think it's quite encouraging on two fronts. It's encouraging the fact that he's been he's played the role of the defiant opener and the anchor role and the one who's willing to dig in and and be the one to prize his wicket which is a really really valuable lesson for any young red ball batter to learn but then the fact that Abel was to be the one that dominated the attack and you know yeah it's it's, it's absolutely demoralizing bowling at that for 30 overs you know just the 180 in 30 something over you know they were going at fives and sixes it's it's yeah, that, that just absolutely wipes out any bit of morale that you might have when you're so far behind in the game, when you're chasing the game to such an extent. So, yeah, it was really important that there was one player at one end who was stoic and then there was one player who was domineering at the other. It, it was just, you know, he was tough to get out. The other was tough to bowl to. They rotated, they rotated the strike excellently. Um, able hitting a couple of sixes, you know, that that's always, there's probably, I, I talked about morale, there's probably no more demoralising sight in cricket than being, you know, gently floated into the stands as a bowler. It's just, yeah, it was, it had all the building blocks of everything that you need from a partnership. And, you, you know, to be honest, in the end, you could maybe argue that some of it didn't actually need it, such was the margin of their victory. But what it did do as well was keep Northamptonshire in the field for longer than they would have liked. And we've seen, you know, you just see that all the time, the effect that that has on the batting performance and how much more likely it makes teams to fold when they've been in the field for so long because they're just shot um, mentally and physically. And yeah, ultimately it did win Somerset the game, didn't it? 
Well, it most certainly did. I mean, Somerset reaching 337 for four declared after just 75 overs, going at 4.49 runs and over. And in the end, they steamrolled Northamptonshire in the early passages of, of day four, bowling out the visitors for 109 runs within the first 31 overs of the second inning. So in terms of Somerset, outstanding. On the flip side, North Ants, I'm not going to be too harsh on North Ants at all, and I'll tell you why. Because this was a bad game. Aside from Will Young scoring 85 in the first innings, Tom Taylor also scored a pretty brilliant 60 not out as well, may I just mention. But other than that, they just didn't look up for this game. I think it was a case of their mid-table. They've already overachieved. I think they just want to get the season out of the way at this point. And yeah, it was an off day for the East Midlands County. But in terms of the bigger picture... A lot of people, myself included, were very, very worried about this North Ant side before a ball was bowled in this year's county championship. They've dug in, they've grafted away, they've got draw points, they've got massive victories at times this season as well. And ultimately, an unfancied team has secured their Division 1 status for 2023. So a disappointing game for North Ants. But again, if we're looking the wider context, we're looking from a club perspective, I don't really think they can complain with 2022. Yes, the white ball competitions could have gone a lot better, but in the championship, to retain that status, that would have been the aim, that would have been the target. And they've smashed it, to be honest. I think they've played some very good red ball cricket at times in 2022. So North Ants and Somerset, although very differing ends of the results column this week, with Somerset winning that one by 352 runs, those two teams will be seeing each other again in the first division of the 2023 County Championship. And Matt, that's a lovely place, actually, to have a look at the championship table in Division 1 at the end of the 15th round. So we have got our champions. Surrey cannot be toppled at the top of the table. They've got 247 runs after 13 matches. In second are Hampshire on 220 points. In third and fourth are Lancashire and Essex, respectively, on 201 and 181 points. In 5th are North Ants on 151 points. In 6th and 7th are Somerset and Yorkshire on 145 and 135 points respectively. And then in 8th and 9th, Kent and Warwickshire, 134 and 120 points. It will take a miracle for the Bears to stay up, but it is still mathematically possible. Kent have got to get a result against Somerset. Yorkshire have got to get a result against Gloucestershire on home soil at Headingley as well. So... The relegation battle, even though it's all but over, can still technically happen. So we'll have to wait and see what happens by the end of next week's games. But unfortunately, in 10th and bottom place and mathematically relegated from Division 1, are Gloucestershire County Cricket Club on 95 points. So the 15th round in Division 1 was crazy. We saw the champions of England being crowned. We saw a ridiculous game in Chelmsford. We saw Gloucestershire win their first game in 17 years in the division. So, yeah, let's just say the 15th round did not disappoint in the first division whatsoever. And in fact, if we're being completely honest, Matt, as we move on to our chat about Division 2, things were a lot better in Division 2 as well, weren't they? We got four results, four victories, four massive victories as well, we have to say. And there's only really one place we can start. And that is where you were covering this week at New Road, where Worcestershire upset all of the odds and hammered Nottinghamshire, the table toppers, by an innings and 79 runs in Worcester. So Matt, seeing as you are a man on the ground, you had eyes on the action for the entirety of the game. 
take us through it. What did you make of the game itself? What were the key matchups, key moments? How would you analyse both Worcestershire and Nottinghamshire's performance at New Road this week? Yeah, for sure. So I think the the first key thing came after lunch and indeed for most of the first day. So um, um, Nottinghamshire won the toss and, had, and decided to feel, you know, but again, we'll go right back to the start of this. September, cloudy, you know, I didn't see anything really wrong with it. There was definitely a bit of grass on the pitch. Um, and, you know, Stephen Mullaney opting to bowl, fair enough. And Nottinghamshire had Worcestershire 99 for five at lunch, took a wicket right at the very last ball of the morning. And you're thinking, yeah, I think that's a uh, a good morning's work after after winning the toss. And then Gareth Rudrick and Brett D'Oliveira came together, didn't they? And they, they put on a partnership of 186. And that just that seemed to just absolutely demoralise and it pretty much knock the stuffing out of uh, out of knots, really. I mean, Gareth Roderick, a player who's had a pretty, you know, I mean, to be honest, the last time I saw him last season, he seemed to be a bit devoid of confidence and kind of struggling. Um, but he's had a he's had a good season this year, and he's capped it off for with what I think is his first century for Worcestershire. There. So fair play to him, you know. Kind of shows that if you work hard at your game, the results will come. And yeah, that was just the absolute key defining moment because had that not happened and had maybe had Worcestershire been shot out for let's say 150, you know, 99 for five, we'll go to 150, 160. The onus is very much on the the pressure is very much on them to recover from that. And when you're facing a lineup with the likes of Hasib Hamid, Lyndon James, um, you, you know, players that have uh, Ben Slater. Uh, players that have really stepped up this season, um, then I think you're going to struggle. But they didn't. They That partnership made sure it was the absolute opposite direction and eventually Worcestershire was able to pile up 390. Um, they fell uh, just a couple of, they fell just short of uh, securing maximum batting points, but they still, uh, they still managed to pick up three batting points, which was uh, you know, from their point of view, probably enough and they're happy with that. And then there was just wickets just fell in clumps. Um, ben Slater knocked back um, by Pennington with, uh, with one just before uh, lunch on the second day. Um, and that was, you know, it's pretty much exactly what not didn't need. Like they, they didn't want, they didn't need. And then it was just kind of from there on in, nobody really... You know, Stephen Mullaney got a bit of a start, a bit of a swift start in a partnership with Hasib Hamid. And Hamid was the inning top scorer with 37. He was the only one really to to stand by, to, to, to stand up and say anything. I mean, Matt Montgomery, who I really rate as a player, didn't do particularly well. Um, Joe Clark's not had the best season. I think he'd be the first to tell you that. Lyndon James, there you go. Another one who only got single figures. Everybody just seemed to struggle. You know, all, all the... All the best teams always have an off day, of course they do. And I think this was just not an inch's off day, you know, knocked out for 128 and asked to follow on as you would. You know, you Worcestershire hadn't been out there for too long. You might as well try and get the job finished. And they did, you know, there were so many wickets that went down. Then there were six down by the close and the game was practically almost won. It was a pretty mental day too. It was, it was really the one that completely changed the complexion of the game. That really really poor Nottinghamshire first innings batting performance and I think to be honest yeah Worcestershire owe it all to well they owe it all to three people 
Um, maybe four, actually. Three people. The first two, obviously, are Dolivier and Roderick, who put on that partnership that was worth more than, um, well, both Nottinghamshire innings, not combined, but, you know, each Nottinghamshire innings, it was higher than both of them. Um, and then um, the, the third man, I think, is Dylan Pennington, who I believe is their leading wicket-taker of the season uh, for, for Worcestershire. I could be corrected on that. You would be correct. 42 wickets, an average of 22.07 for the Salopian seamer. He is, he's a proper, proper player. Um, he most certainly is. Very, very talented he, player. He's done really well. And, you know, he was bowling really impressively. Um, but yeah, he took uh, four wickets in the first innings. I did Ed Barnard. There you go, mate. You've got that, that's one thing you've got to look forward Something to. Something to cling uh, on to. <laughs> uh, who is a, a really, he's a really top player as well. Um, and then Pennington taking two more wickets in the second inning. Uh, but I think the one other player that might just be worth a, a mention uh, is, is Ben Gibbon, actually, because he's he's only young. He's only sort of birthed into the Worcestershire team over the last um, this season. He was bowling so well. He's he's got that that smooth and repeatable action that I talked about. And he was making players like Joe Clark, like Hasib Hamid. He was he was making these really, you know, really top, talented top order batters look ordinary. And it was really cut. He was pulling with with some speed as well. He was really you know he's got that very full throated action. Uh, to be honest, if you can capture him as a um, as a bowler in. Um, as, as a photographer, when he's bowling, you know, you probably catch him almost flying through the air. Like, he, he jump, he, the, the way he jumps and the way he's sort of flat as he um, kind of releases the ball, um, you get a really good shot of him sort of almost looking like he's levitating and that kind of shows you how full-throated his action is. Um, but yeah, it just I think, to be honest, what it really was was just an off day for Nottinghamshire. Every team has them and an on-day for Worcestershire, who, to be fair, have been really quite impressive at New Road. You know, they've, they've won a couple of, of other games by an innings at New Road um, against Sussex and Leicestershire. But, you know, when you look at the table, this was by far the most impressive. And I think all Nottinghamshire can really do is look to bounce back next season, uh, no, next season, next week against Durham and see all that, uh, well, hopefully see one of the top two spots because... They could have sealed it uh, in this match. They didn't, and it goes to the final day or the final round. It does make it interesting, though, doesn't it? Because, again, sure. it's almost like the Kenton versus uh, Hampshire game, as I was mentioning earlier. I was expecting at least a draw for Notts, to be completely honest, and to lose, not just lose the game, but lose by an innings and only get three points from this encounter. It does just throw the cat amongst the pigeons with the performances of Glamorgan and Middlesex this week, as we'll discuss in due course. So... For Knots, they're not out of the woods yet, are they? They are still the favourites. And of course, if they do win on home soil against Durham next week, we'll all forget about this performance. But if the unthinkable does happen, they lose to Durham because it's more than possible. It really is. Strange things happen in the county championship. This could be a season-defining moment. So some nerdy times, I think, actually, in the East Midlands this week after this performance. But as for Worcestershire, I must say it's been a pretty good season. In particular, in the seam department, it's something which I stressed before the season began. I wanted to see an improvement. You mentioned Dylan Pennington. He's been outstanding. Joe Leach as well, the former captain, taking 34 wickets at 22.55. And Ben Gibbon, 
the former Cheshire Seamer, coming in his first full season with Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Six matches, 19 wickets at 32.94. Worcestershire definitely have got some bright prospects to take them to the next level, heading into next season and, of course, the years beyond. So for Worcestershire, I think it's been a decent season. For Notts, of course, they'll be hoping that they can get the job done. We'll have to wait and see against Durham at Trent Bridge next week. But yeah, that was a very, very interesting result, to say the very least, in the East Midlands this week. But talking to teams which are vouching for those two promotion places, let's have a look at the game between Glamorgan and Derbyshire at Sophia Gardens, where the Welsh outfit hammered the East Midlands County by an innings and 24 runs on home soil in Cardiff. Now, Derbyshire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game. And to be honest, this could not have backfired any more spectacularly. Glamorgan captain David Lloyd recording the highest ever first-class score for a Glamorgan player on home soil as he brought up a monumental 313 not out, his first century of the season, and he goes and scores 313 not out. Matt, a few words on this knock from David Lloyd. He's had a pretty tough season, to be honest. Has the Glamorgan captain. I think he's led the side well. I think his bowling rotations at times have been excellent. But he struggled to find form with the bats. And then penultimate round of Division 2 this season. His team are vouching. They're in the hunt for those promotion places. And he goes and scores 313 outs which included a staggering 44s and 4.6s for good measure. How would you sum up this knock from the Welsh skipper on home soil this week? Special, really, really special. Um, I think, yeah, just to, the, the timing of it as well and the fact that, you know, they needed a, well, they needed a maximum point win, didn't they, really, to stay in the hunt. Um, everything could quite easily have gone downhill for them against a team like Derbyshire. You know, they're, they're the sort of team that have been kind of keen to prove their ability to not lose, you know, that their, their, their ability of being a tough team to beat. And they've been very keen to prove that under Mickey Arthur. That is really, really, really impressive win for Glamorgan. And it really underlines their credentials and for him to, you know, lead from the front like that. Um, yeah, very, 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 you know, um, well, really, 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 really good, frankly. Um, I think Cardiff is probably a little bit more conducive to the bowlers. I think you'd have to say it's, maybe it's, it's only just um, that it's more of a bowl first ground, I think. So, you know, as an opener in September, you know, to, to be able to do that, it, it's definitely a marker. And I think as well, it clearly shows that whatever Glamorgan are feeding the batters, you know, to get two triple centurions in the same season, and, you know, in fact, one one quadruple century and one triple century, you know, that, that really shows exactly what's, uh, what's going on. And it's very, very special, I think, yeah, because just uh, Sam Northeast and David Lloyd, two exceptionally talented batters, and uh, they've shown that really, really well. It is quite funny in a way, though, isn't it? You score 313 not outs, and we're having to coin it as the highest score by Glamorgan player on Welsh soil. And the reason that is, is because your teammate, a few rounds ago, scored 410 not out in Leicester. Two staggering performances 
from Glamorgan players and it will be gutting if they don't get promoted. But there's a lot of positives to take away from this season. And something else I just wanted to, to stress really is the overseas recruitment. You mentioned last week, didn't you, Matt, in terms of Shubman Gill? And obviously we didn't get to see him in this game, unfortunately. But he looked good in those first couple of games. And then their other recruit for Super September was Ajaz Patel. And he took 5 for 68 in that first innings to restrict Derbyshire to a score of 253 all outs by the end of their first innings. In terms of Glamorgan's recruitment as well, before we touch upon Derbyshire and just give our thoughts with regards to their performance in this game, things are looking up, aren't they, for the Welsh outfit in the overseas department. Ajaz has been a good signing. Shubman's been a good signing. And then, of course, the big news from this season, Marnus Labashane signing a contract extension is definitely something they can utilise and build off of heading into the future, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I think Glamorgan... You know, I've, I've I've long thought of them as a bit of a sleeping giant. You know, they host international cricket. They've got a really, I mean, a world-class facility in which to develop talent. And they should have, you know, they, they, they should have this kind of quite willing pool of talent. You know, they're the only first-class county in Wales. I know, obviously, you can't get 11, 12-year-old being driven down to Cardiff to train. And to I know they're, they're not going to have a, a massive talent influx from the whole of Wales. But, you know, you've got, you're in, you're in a, UK capital city, and they, they should have this sort of. I, I've always, I've long thought they should be a better team than they are, but if they're finally starting to realise that, driven by the, the presence of some really, really good overseas players, then that's kind of, you know, that's actually starting point. You're bringing these really good overseas, and then they, as well as giving their performances and, you know, actually scoring the runs to help the team immediately, they can be that kind of draw. If you're a young cricketer in Wales, now I suppose in Wales it's a little bit tough as well because the, especially in South Wales, the draw of rugby is so massive, it makes it a bit more difficult to pick cricket. But if you're, I'm not sure, you know, if you know that if you're a 12, 13 year old good young sports person in South Wales and you've got rugby teams, academies looking at you, you've maybe even got Cardiff City or Swansea City looking at you, and you've got Glamorgan looking at you, lovely position to be in but if you go to a Glamorgan game and you see Manus Labashain, the best test batter in the world, or one of the best test batters in the world then, you know, imagine what that does to you, and imagine how much you're willing to be convinced by Glamorgan upon seeing that, you know, it, it just gives them that kind of more respectability about them and more you know, they're, they're not just whipping boys as they have been for a little while to be honest you know they've they have struggled and they really struggled in 2020 and you know i think it it, it shows that they're they're serious and that's really and that's a really good thing to see i would also observe that Yorkshire should never sign an overseas player again because when we signed edith patel he didn't really set the world on fire i think it's fair to say but there you go glamorgan have signed him and he's done far better for them than he did for us so that's uh Credit credit to Glamorgan, frankly, for because uh, 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 I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that we made him look poor because he's a very good player and uh, you know I'm not I'm not jealous at all. But, uh, yeah, that's just the uh, yeah that I think that's really the benefit that those overseas players can have and hopefully it will lead to a few players of a few youngsters making that decision to go into cricket and it would be nice to see Glamorgan. You know, we're not we're not asking for ten out of eleven born and bred Welshmen playing for them. But, you know, if they can get six to seven and 
they, they've, they've got access to that talent, then that would be very good. It would indeed. And, and one of those Welsh talented players is, of course, Tom Bevan, scoring 48 in this particular game. We've got a lot of time for Tom Bevan, been very good in Welsh village cricket as well. So watch out for him in the next few years. But yeah, I mean, in this particular game, Glamorgan, just far too good. Ajaz Patel, as we mentioned, the overseas player, being a key part of that as as Derbyshire bowled out for 2-5-3 in the first innings, 273 in the second, ultimately succumbing to an innings victory. Now, Glamorgan fans, we will talk about Michael Hogan as well in a lot more detail next week. Got something special planned when it comes to Michael Hogan in terms of the stats and everything that he's achieved for the Welsh outfit. But I thought it was lovely as well for him to take a wicket with his final ever delivery on home soil this week, getting the wicket of Sam Connors to, to set up the match-winning wickets for his side in the end. So shout out to Michael Hogan. He'll be tremendously missed in South Wales and he's been a fantastic servant to Glamorgan County Cricket Club as we shall discuss in a lot more detail on next week's podcast. But as for Derbyshire, unfortunate result for Derbyshire because they have been making a lot of progress this season. We've spoken about the fortitude, the grit, the metal that Mickey Arthur's side have shown. And even though they did finish on the wrong side of this result... Someone I've got to mention, Matt, is Anuj Dal. I think he's had a fantastic season. He scored 92 runs in this particular game. And again, if we're looking at the bigger picture, he's currently the, the ninth leading run scorer in Division 2 this season. He scored 926 runs at an average of 71.23. So I wanted to give Anuj some plaudits, some credit. I think he's been a real unsung hero of the East Midlands County in 2022. And then in terms of the main guy, the showpiece of that Derbyshire batting lineup, the man who is currently the leading run scorer in Division 2, a certain Wayne Madsen. Now, unfortunately, he did get a golden duck in the first innings. But as Wayne Madsen always does, he bounced back very strong in the very next innings, scoring 77 from 163 balls. I was very, very impressed with those two this week. I really was, and I thought they deserved a lot of credit, a lot of mention, Although Derbyshire, unfortunately, won't get promoted, it's mathematically impossible now, as we'll see in the table in due course. But I've been impressed with the grits and the fight shown by Mickey Arthur's men, and this is definitely a season to build off of. There's positives to take away, and if they continue this rebuild phase and they continue to get more competitive, they turn these draws into wins. I do think we'll see Derbyshire back in Division 1 sooner rather than later. So, yeah, keep up the faith, Derbyshire fans. Things looking quite good in the Red Ball Arena compared to times gone past. But talking of the 2022 promotion race then, Matt, let's head to another East Midlands county. Let's go to Leicester, where Middlesex secured a massive 80-run victory over bottom-of-the-table Leicestershire at the Upton Steel County ground. Now, Leicestershire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game, dismissing the Saxes' opening duo of Sam Robson and Mark Stoneman to just produce a little bit of pressure on the visitors, maybe make the knees a little bit shaky in the early exchanges. But fortunately for the London County, Stephen Eskenazi, John Simpson, who scored a brilliant 92, and newcomer Ryan Higgins, who scored 53 from 98, ultimately saw the visitors up to a competitive first innings total of 297 all out by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Leicestershire, unfortunately got off to a pretty shocking start. The Foxes were restricted to 66 for 5 within the first 23 overs of their innings. 
But fortunately for the home side, Harry Swindles and Tom Scriven produced a fantastic 125-run sixth-wicket stand to ultimately help propel the Foxes up to a very, very competitive score of 294 all-out by the end of their first innings. So at this particular stage of the game, it's very even Stevens. There's just three runs separating these two sides heading into the second innings. And to be honest, Middlesex, again, struggled massively up the top, find themselves 44 for three within the first 10 overs of the innings. But cometh the hour, cometh the man for the Saxes, announced to the stage a certain Max Holden, 91 from 112 balls, a magnificent 165 run stand with opener Mark Stoneman. Matt, a few words on Max Holden. He was the prodigal son, wasn't he, of Middlesex cricket. We're talking back in 2017, 2018. The guy's very classy. He's got panache, he's got flair, he's got elegance. And he showed all of those characteristics and attributes with this knock in Leicester this week, didn't he? It was just a fantastic innings. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And I think, you know, that he's got that kind of, like you said there, he's got that class about him and that sort of free-flowing kind of dominance almost. It's, it's that sort of, when when you can play with such confidence, you know, when you consider that the aim, the sole, well, the, you know, the primary aim in the Red Bull arena is to score runs without being dismissed. If you have to take your time to do that and, you know, you have to wait for the bad ball, that's still fine. You know, you, you, you're not you're not getting dismissed. You're still scoring the runs. There's absolutely no problem with that. You've got the freedom to do that if that's your style that you so choose. But to be able to score at an, a rate of over eighty, a strike rate of over eighty, you know that underlines how special it was and how fluent and how confident he is as as a cricketer. And I just think, yeah, that that ability to kind of from the middle order just put your hand up and respond to a few of your top order colleagues being shot out for a couple of single figure scores, that is, yeah, um, to just gently dominate all the bowlers. He didn't, you know, chanceless, it was confident, it was classy, everything about it. And he, it was a real, real shame that he fell short of getting a century, frankly, because I think what he displayed... Um, you know, no one, no one deserves anything in professional sport, do they? But he, probably, you would have to say, were, c- can be rightly disappointed that he uh, he didn't quite get there. And I'm sure, the given that the quality he's got, I'm sure the disappointment there will only drive him forward to get one maybe next week. Who knows? <laughs> well, the Middlesex faithful will certainly be hoping for that from Max Holden. But yeah, it was a great knock, I must say from the Middlesex number five in Leicester this week. And as a result of that, Middlesex ultimately got to a total of 271 all out by the end of their second inning. So Leicestershire in the game, very much in the hunts. They need 275 runs in order to secure their maiden victory of the 2022 County Championship. But to the absolute horror of the home side, they found themselves 70 for seven within just 31 overs as a result of some remarkably consistent bowling from the likes of Toby Rowland-Jones, the leading wicket-taker in this year's County Championship Division 2 with 63 wickets, an average of 19.20. And of course, Tim Murta, the wily veteran, also providing so much control, so much discipline. What veteran? 
that, that, that's my dad, the wily veteran. <laughs> it's getting worse, isn't it? These puns, they've not got any better throughout this season, have they, unfortunately, Matt? <laughs> we, we need to up our game heading into 2023. But I think so. Especially on my side, might have been pretty shocking at times. But luckily for Middlesex, something that wasn't shocking was Tim Murtagh's bowling. And his bowling figures, two for 33 from his 17 overs. And at this stage, you're thinking this game is done and dusted. 70 for seven against the bottom of the table side. Leicester are going to give up, aren't they? But I will give them tremendous credit, in particular two men. The former captain, Colin Ackerman, who scored 80 from 156. And the current captain, Callum Parkinson, who grafted away like a warrior on home soil this week with 16 from 89. Those two just began to tip the balance ever so slightly in the favour of the Foxes, putting together a pivotal 65 and 8 wicket partnership to just sow the seeds of doubt into the mind of the Saxes bowlers. But an unlikely hero emerged in Leicester this week. It wasn't Tim Murta, it wasn't Toby Rowland-Jones or Ryan Higgins or Ethan Bamber, it was Sam Robson with his spin, which provided the key breakthrough, the Middlesex opener, trapping Ackerman LBW in the 57th over to ultimately spark a collapse, ruin any chances of a Fox's victory, and ultimately see his side to a victory by a total of 80 runs in the 69th over of the second innings. So, Matt, a very interesting game of cricket to say the least, a massive win for Middlesex and a disappointing loss for Leicestershire. And again, we'll talk about the Foxes in a lot more detail next week. But one person I will say has really impressed me in Super September is Michael Finan. On first-class debut for the Foxes, goes and scores a 50 at Trent Bridge against Durham, showed a lot of grits. I think he hit Matt Potts for a six as well, if I'm not mistaken. And then this week, on home soil, goes and takes figures of five for 58 from his 18 first innings overs. He's been really impressive. He's been really, really impressive for the Foxes. And I mentioned this so many times, they need someone who's going to take wickets alongside the likes of Chris Wright and Callum Parkinson. And in my view, even though it might be expensive, Michael Finan's doing just that. And he can bat as well. I don't know why he's still batting at number 11, because he's shown that he's a lot better than that. But Michael Finan, if he can just build on this heading into next season with more experience, more games under his belt, he could potentially be that breakthrough specialist that the Foxes just so desire. So watch out for him, Foxes fans. He's an interesting one. He's 27, 28 years of age, around that mark, is the Cheshire-born seam bowler. But he's been really impressive with both bat and ball in hand. And yeah, fingers crossed that for both himself and, of course, the Leicestershire players themselves, things do go better in 2023 because this has been a very rough season bottom of the table very unlikely to finish with a win and yeah unfortunately in this game as well collapsing to an 80 run loss on home soil in front of the home fans this week but as for Middlesex massive step forward to promotion they've been vying and hunting and fighting for this since relegation in 2017 could 2022 finally be the year we shall have to wait and see but Matt, aside from those three games then, let's move on to our fourth and final game from Division 2 this week, which saw Durham hammer Sussex by an innings and 140 runs up at the Riverside. Now, Durham won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in Chesler Streets, a decision which appeared to have paid off quite sensationally as the likes of Matt Potts, Paul Coughlin and Ben Rain tore through the Sussex batting lineup with ease 
to leave the visitors all out for just 162 runs in the 60th over of the innings. Now, before we get onto Durham's batting and we talk about the likes of Michael Jones and Scott Borthwick and Nick Maddinson, just a few words, Matt, on Ben Rain, because I don't think we've mentioned this guy enough in 2022. And yet, looking at the stats, he is the fourth leading wicket taker in Division 2 this season. He's taken 44 wickets, an impressive average of 23.97. Do you think Ben Rain's slightly underrated? I know that's quite an interesting question, but he was a consistent performer for Leicestershire. He's been very consistent for Durham. I feel like at times he goes under the radar in T20 cricket as well. Do you think we need to start giving a bit more plaudits, a bit more praise for the Durham all-rounder off the back of these performances in 2022? Do you think that we need to elevate his status in terms of the the wider county conversation? Yeah, I don't see why not, to be honest. He's, uh, like you say, he's put in the performances quite regularly, hasn't he? It's been... I suppose an interesting one as far as Durham are concerned because their season as a whole has been a little bit underwhelming. I think they would have hoped and maybe expected to be a little bit higher than they are. But, you know, as an individual, he's definitely, yeah, he's done it for a number of years. He's, again, you know, I mentioned that group. He's, he's in that group where, you know, there's no higher calling for him. He's, he's going to stay where he is until he retires. But there's every element of respectability in that he consistently gets his head down does the job and yeah you have to give him a lot of credit for what he's achieved in the county game which is yeah that he just he's one of those regular really good solid performers he's you know back in his after playing for Leicestershire for a number of years he's back where he started and he's putting in those performances and he's benefiting from those bowler friendly conditions at the riverside and yeah you know he's ultimately yeah He's won his side of the game there, and he is, like you say, he's an all-rounder as well. He can bat a little bit. He's, yeah, he, he's a very, very good cricketer. There's no doubt about that. He is indeed, and I just feel like we haven't mentioned him enough. So Ben Rain, full credit, full plaudits as well. Very, very impressed with his performances in the 2022 season. And it's funny you mentioned about the bowler-friendly nature of the surface map because it certainly didn't appear like that when Durham were batting. Scottish opener Michael Jones producing a phenomenal 96 from 193 balls on this surface. And again, I want to give Michael Jones a massive shout out as well. He is Durham's leading run scorer in this year's county championship with 878 runs at an average of 51.64. He scored two centuries, 550 plus scores, 119 boundaries. He's someone to watch out for, you know. It's a really difficult place to bat, in particular as an opener up in the northeast, and yet he applies himself so well. He's got this great mix, an eclectic mix almost, of defence and attack. He knows when to up the ante and he knows when to just almost go within his shell a little bit at times and dig in. Really impressed with that knock and someone else I was very impressed with this week, Nick Maddinson, because he struggled at times, the overseas player from Australia, but he scored 90 from 100 balls this week, looks a million dollars at the crease. And as a result of that 96 from Jones, the 90 from Maddinson, the 82 from Scott Borthwick, and someone else I'm very happy to see back in the runs, a certain Chris Benjamin, the Warwickshire Loney, scoring 82 not out from 91 runs. All of these contributions ultimately took Durham up to a mammoth total of 459 for seven declared by the end of their first innings. Now, rather unsurprisingly, especially considering as we, we've already read out the results of this game, Sussex were just massively outplayed 
in the second innings. And the man of the moment was, of course, Ben Rain taking five for 54 from his 18 overs to ultimately skittle Sussex out for 157 runs within 48.3 overs to take Durham to a commanding victory on day four on home soil. So, Matt, a big win for Durham in what's been a relatively underwhelming campaign. I think both myself and yourself thought a lot more of this side heading into this season. We saw them as promotion candidates, potentially winning the entire thing. With the quality of that seam attack, it hasn't quite transpired that way. But this is definitely something positive to build off of. With the likes of Matt Potts, you've got Bryden Cost, Ollie Gibson's a good young seamer as well. And then you've got the young batters with the likes of Tom McIntosh, Johnny Bushnell and Ollie Robinson making the move from Kent. I do fancy Durham to bounce back very strong in 2023. As for Sussex, who knows what the future holds, to be honest, because they are a very young team. And I think that with Pajara, they looked a lot better. They looked an awful lot better. If they've got that experience in the middle order, I think Sussex can produce some upsets. I really do. But again, we've got to look at the bigger picture. It's quite clear they've gone for the full factory reset down on the South Coast. Lots of young talent. We've saw that again this week with young Aussie keeper Charlie Tare coming into the team. But I mean, for the Sussex fans, you look at a team of Sussex's size and stature, right? In terms of their history in the county championship, you think back to their wins in the mid-2000s as well. Matt, do you think it's sustainable? I know this is a very big question to end the podcast on, but... For those fans, this has been a rebuild for quite some years now. They've lost some massive names, the likes of Luke Wells, Danny Briggs, Laurie Evans, Chris Jordan, just to name but a few. Do you see this project as being sustainable or do you think they've gone for too much youth, given the fact that we've now seen 13 games and the side do sit in seventh place in Division 2? Yeah, it's a really difficult one because the first thing I should say is that I don't think they're going to abandon it, personally. I think they, when they had this idea of this rebuild they committed to this taking a decade or longer before these players came of age you know you look at the likes of um Archie Lenham and Daniel Abraham and you know these are 15 and 16 year old you know these these are children these these just legally these are children that they're playing and you know when you don't even have the biology of adult men you've got to wait even two or three years before you, you can even start teaching them the training that adults have so while it's admirable, and to be honest, I, I quite like it. And I'm not a Sussex fan, so obviously I can kind of view it as a little bit more, oh, they're just developing youth and it's fine and there's nothing really wrong with it. And, you know, I'm not a Sussex fan who's going, well, can we win something? You know, it, it, when, when, when does it end? When, when do we actually start, you know, when, when does the rebuild actually become complete? You know, what are we actually building? But I think, you know, these players are so talented that I think I think you do have to stick with them for a little while longer. And that's why I say that I don't think they're going to abandon it. I think they're committed to it taking so long. But yeah, I think it, it is a difficult one because maybe, like you said, they've got that history behind them and just, just 15 years ago, they were this all-conquering Sussex side that, that won everything. So yeah, it's, it's tough. But my kind of initial instinct is that I do quite like it. I think there's a lot to be admired for. I think you can admire them for it. And I think the the fact that they've committed to it is to be respected. 
I think it really is. And, you know, Sussex, do, they are one of those counties that do not have a lot of money. They have to find more inventive ways of staying on a, on a par with counties that host international cricket and can sign the very best and cherry pick. And, you know, Sussex have obviously suffered the loss of the big names to those counties that can afford that, like you said. But, yeah, if they can develop these players, then I think the real questions will come if, you know, we're looking, if, if we have this conversation in, let's say, let's say five years' time and these players have come of age and they're still not winning anything, then you can legitimately have a question. And to be honest, at that point, it would be a major inquest because you potentially have wasted maybe eight or nine years of a really proud county club's history in this sort of, in what could maybe turn out to be a doomed project. But I think for now, stay the course. You've got some really good, talented young players that want to play for Sussex. And, you know, sometimes best isn't always best. Just sometimes if you've got that tight-knit team that have been together a while, that have grown up together, that have developed together, you know, that can be better than a team of 11 all-stars. It really can. So I think, yeah, let, let's have this conversation in two or three years. But I'd encourage them to stick with it. Yeah, it goes back to that old adage, doesn't it, Matt, of, of only time will tell. And I suppose the other big thing with this Sussex side is, of course, retaining those players heading into the future. If the likes of a Surrey or a Warwickshire, a Nottinghamshire, a Yorkshire, Lancashire do come calling, can they retain that core of young talents? But we'll have to wait and see. Those are questions which shall be addressed in future series and future seasons of the County Cricket Podcast. But obviously one wishing thing, Sussex nothing one, but the best of luck. I, absolutely. One thing I would say is that I do think we're going to see this. Um, I mean, we've seen it a couple of occasions already at transfer fees. We are, I think we are rapidly going to start seeing transfer fees in cricket quite soon um, because these players, these counties that are developing these players are quite frequently not seeing a return on their investment. And I think this Sussex, it could almost be the kind of the catalyst for it. You know, if you've got a Daniel Ibrahim who you've invested, let's say, 10 years into and Surrey just come and nab him, then, you know, you think, well, what was it all for? That That is when you're thinking as a Sussex fan, well, what was it all for to just, to just let them leave? Whereas if you maybe look at them as, Perhaps the Ajax, if you, if you, I've used a lot of uh, football and comparisons here, but if you look at a team like Ajax that have got the most incredible youth academy, but they've accepted that every year, or Borussia Dortmund, they've accepted that every year they will sell a very good player to the top Europe, to the very top cream of the cream, but they will get a lot of money for it and they're able to carry on doing it. Then, if we see that in cricket, then you can maybe say, well, that's what it was for because we got, you know, I mean, I, th I'm, I think I'm confident in saying that Yorkshire paid Northampton to £100,000 for David Willey in 2016. You know, numbers are like that are only going to go up. So if you, you know, let's hypothetically say that, so we do come in in 2025, 2026, find Daniel Ibrahim, pay Sussex, let's say £200,000 for him. Well, there you go, then we can redevelop a part of her, we can invest in the next one, we can ensure that our ground can continue to host first-class cricket for the next 10 years. That, Maybe that's what it was for. But, yeah, there does have to be a little bit of protection for these lower, for, the, for these counties that don't have the same amount of money. So I'm hopeful that if, if that does come in, maybe that's what it was all for. It's just, there's just got to be something tangible as far as Sussex are concerned, haven't they, in, in, the, in the future. 
It certainly does, Matt. And let's see if that prediction comes true as well. Was it Daniel Ibrahim to Surrey by 2025? Well, there you go. I'm, I'm hypothetical, but uh, we'll, we'll see if the prediction of 200 grand comes true, to be honest, mate. We'll see who the first uh, million pound cricketer is, shall we? In, in England, I mean, obviously, I know, I know they're already going for millions in the IPL, but uh, yeah, transferring between two county clubs. We'll have to wait and see what the future holds, won't we? But we for the time being, Matt, we do, of course, have to look at the Division 2 table at the end of the 15th round and still top of the table and not on 218 points. In second, a Middlesex on 209 points. In third, still in the mix, a Glamorgan County Cricket Club on 200 points. Then in fourth and fifth, respectively, are Worcestershire and Durham on 183 and 182 points. In sixth, a Derbyshire on 171 points. In seventh, a Sussex on 117 points. And in eighth and bottom place, at the foot of the Division 2 table, are Leicestershire County Cricket Club, on 84 points. So 18 points separate the top three heading into the final round. And all that's left for me to say, really, before we do wrap up the episode is good luck to Nottinghamshire, to Middlesex and to Glamorgan. And may the best team win. You know, I'd be happy to see any of those teams in Division 1 next season. So we'll have to wait and see. Unfortunately, only two of them can go up. But may the best county win. I think we are in for an excellent conclusion to Division 2 at the end of the 16th round on Monday, the 26th of September. But Matt, that is it, essentially, for today's episode. Thank you again for coming on for the bumper episode. We've been going on for quite some time for tonight, but there's a lot to cover. And again, it'll be the exact same next week. So another couple of a big shift from us to end the 2022 season with a bang. Just before we say goodbye for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, anything like that? Nothing of uh, social media or website, mate. I would just like to say that obviously, yeah, we are we're in September now, which is um, a few of us may already know it. Uh, um, so September is a Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and that's just something I'd like to really kind of draw attention to. I'm, I'm a I'm a survivor myself, and I just want to make it aware. Um, you know, there, there are some charities out there um, that use this month really, really effectively. There's a couple I'd love to draw attention to. Which uh, one of them is Young Lives versus Cancer, which is formerly known as Click Sergeant, they're national, and then there's one called Candlelighters that operate solely in Yorkshire, they're a little bit closer to me personally, but Young Life versus Cancer is a very big one. Um, you can get your gold ribbon from them, the gold ribbon is the international symbol of it, and I'd just like to say, you know, um, I know there's a lot going on in the world, and I know there's a lot of uh, charity that you can pick and choose, but frankly, yeah, if, if you do have any spare income, I know that a lot of people do not, and I'm not... Uh, requesting that people do this but i'm just saying that you know if, if you do have a little bit of spare income and you may be looking for a charity in september then young lives versus cancer or um and any one of those that support that kind of thing in childhood cancer awareness month in september would be really good and uh, yeah thank you to anyone that does that absolutely matt's i mean some wonderful charities and of course we will leave the links to those respective charities in the podcast link below if you have if you can donate anything whatsoever guys please feel free to do so Matt's just summed it up quite beautifully there they do some excellent work some fantastic work for a wonderful cause as well so please do give if you can as I said we'll leave the links to those charities in the podcast description below but that is it from us to here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for tonight's episode to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners thank you very much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see you on the next one